Officer down! I repeat, Officer down! Welcome to 1033. This podcast was created in an effort to create community connection and conversation around mental health. It was originally created by a first responder for first responders. However, the lessons learned through life experience transcend these roles. Join us as we aim to reduce the stigma around mental health and create a safe environment for you, the listener, to reflect on the journey as others share their story. The success of this project is a result of the direct support from the listeners and from corporations. This support directly translates to increasing the quality of the podcast that I am ultimately able to provide to you. I would like to take a quick moment to hear from our sponsors who believe in this project. CanaConnect's mission is to empower military and RCMP veterans on their holistic journey to wellness through community, conversation, and medical cannabis education. CanaConnect is committed to providing opportunities to engage with supportive communities across the country at their wellness lounges from coast to coast. Drop in any time to grab a coffee, meet their team, and enjoy fulfilling conversations with like-minded people. CanaConnect understands that healing requires a holistic approach, which is why they put so much emphasis into connection and the community. CanaConnect leads with compassion and care to ensure that everyone in the community is able to learn, heal, and thrive while working to end the stigma around mental health. Thank you to our sponsors for continuing to make this project a success. Welcome back to 1033. Today we are joined by Chris Pilon. He's out of the prairies. And just before we connected, Chris, I was asking, I was like, how do I even introduce you? Uh, So for one, welcome to the show. And two, I'm not even going to try to introduce you. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, Yeah, my my different roles in uh, in life all come with different titles, so it can get a bit confusing. Uh, I'll start with the one I've been for the longest. That's an Anglican, I'm an Anglican priest um, before I started doing anything else and is what led to all my other roles. And technically, the, the address for an Anglican priest is the reverend or reverend. Um, but I'm also a chaplain in the Canadian Armed Forces. And when we go in as chaplains, we start out with the rank of captain. So that makes me captain the reverend and i have no title with the uh with the rcmp where i work as a uh, as a volunteer chaplain so there i'm mostly just chris uh one of the catch-alls for me because of my involvement with the military is padre that's our catch-all term for every single employed chaplain in the canadian forces so that's what i get called on base uh and mostly with the rcmp too they seem to have taken to padre but uh generally in my day-to-day life i just go by chris so for you, how did you end up in this role where you're serving people from, from this position? So it started for me, um, I've been working in the church, oh man, for almost over a decade now, almost 12 years um, in some capacity or another. But even before that, when I was in seminary training to be a priest, we have a, uh, we have a, three years ma- a three-year master's program we have to go through to be considered for the Anglican Church of Canada. And while I was doing that, uh, my best friend who I lived with at the time, um, he's been in the military for over 25 years. He's a, he's a major in the reserves. He was over in Afghanistan on Apathina. And every so often, his, his empty room would be taken up by different soldiers coming back on leave um, from Afghanistan or from other, other scenarios. 
And while I was there, I was kind of in charge of making sure they were okay, settling in, making good use of their leave, and they would hear what I was doing, you know, that um, religious professional. And, and for them, I think a lot of the times it just clicked that, oh, he's, he's a padre, even though I wasn't a, you know, a military chaplain at that time. But I still got treated in a similar fashion. We had the same hard conversations and we had, you know, some very difficult conversations. Um, people who were coming back who'd maybe had issues with their spouse while they were away, you know, deployment puts a lot of strain on marriages and you don't always come back into the same scenario you left. So we had a couple of people sleeping on our couches and, you know, at 10 o'clock at night when we're both up, you can choose silence or you can have that conversation of, you know, is, is everything going okay? And it was through those conversations that I figured out, you know, I, in, using religious terms, I would say I felt called toward this line of work. I felt called to serve, which is actually the, the motto for the uh, Royal Canadian Chaplain Service. It was through all that that I kind of went, okay, this is probably the direction my life is supposed to take towards serving in, in the military in this role, working with soldiers who are going through stressful, traumatic, you know, different different kind of events that, that people shouldn't have to go through on their own. And one thing led to another. My schooling finished. Um, I kind of bounced around Canada for a little bit, working in different religious jobs, just, you know, discerning my own path. And eventually, you know, it, it led to the, uh, to the Canadian Armed Forces. Before I got in uh, as, a, as a military chaplain, though, I was serving in western Manitoba in the most rural place I've ever lived in my life. We had an hour-long drive to just see a set of traffic lights. And there was an RCMP detachment there. And I, I trained as a chaplain. You know, we have to train as that when we're in uh, in seminary training for the priesthood. And chaplaincy to me is very much, it's a skill. It's something that you, you have to practice at and train at to stay good at. And I saw an opportunity with the local RCMP detachment and I approached their leadership um, and another Anglican priest who uh, is, a, is an RCMP chaplain as well. And we made connections and it, it one thing led to another and I spent the last four and a half years in the very west of DDiv, you know, as west as you can get. Actually, our closest detachment, neighboring detachment was actually in FDiv. That's how far west we were. Um, I spent four and a half years with them working as a chaplain, and now I'm getting all settled into FDiv, still volunteering as a chaplain with the RCMP, while I balance my, you know, professional life and my uh, my civilian ministry life as well. It's a very long answer to your question. No, it's absolutely perfect. I mean, season season three is definitely designed to focus in on the care providers that are here behind the scenes helping out our, our beautiful men and women that serve, right? And that doesn't just stop at the RCMP. That stops at, you know, military and nurses and and every frontline service that's out there because at some point in that journey i think you can agree to this chris uh, we're all going to suffer from one thing or another due to the trauma or due to the institutionalized kind of experience that happens with deployment like you were saying like how hard is it for our men and women who go overseas for sometimes you know six months a year whatever the case is and they come home and they realize okay i'm actually not married anymore how do i adjust to this how do i talk about it how do i get it out uh, and they're utterly lost they 
they've gone through so much trauma. And, you know, the beautiful thing about having someone like yourself come on the the podcast is that we often forget about the, the religious aspect to, you know, chaplaincy or something, you know, like similar to yourself. So I'm actually really excited to have this, you know, sit down conversation with you today because it's a very important segment. And there's a lot of you across Canada. We often forget that it's there. Yeah, and, and I find oftentimes spiritual care, which which I would consider myself a spiritual care professional, um, not a mental care, mental health care professional. I've I've got some training in mental health care, but not to the extent of of you know psychologists or or um, therapists or things like that. But I I find we can forget that for so many people, spiritual care is as big a pillar in their lives as everything else because it's often in that realm where we make meaning of the things that happen to us. Um, and, and people who go into careers, you know, really any caring career or service career, you know, nurses, you mentioned doctors, soldiers, police, paramedics, firefighters, and, and so on are putting themselves in a position where more things are going to happen in their life that they're going to have to work through. You know, they're, they're going to be seeing and exposed to more to other people's trauma as well. And, all of us at some point or another, you know, call it religiosity or, or spiritual or whatever, have to make meaning of that in our lives. And, and that's one of the big roles I find I play with um, people in chaplaincy is, is sitting down with them, being a compassionate ear and just helping them sort through the day to day stuff that's been going in in their lives that that is, you know, having them questioning their their role in the world, their connection to the world, their connection to their community and to be able to sit and just, you know, work through step by step and, and be that ear or sounding board. Um, it's, it's definitely, I find an, an overlooked area of, of the, you know, the whole human healthcare. I guess my first train of thought, uh, from, from this conversation where we're headed right now, and this is something that I've, I've long talked about it and I've never really been able to really dive into it with the right person. And as we sit and we, we do this, this connection, this moment of connection, I'm starting to see that you're probably actually the perfect person to talk about this. So on the podcast, I talk a lot about, you know, the important pillars of our, our health, right? The emotional, the physical, the mental and the spiritual. And I've, I've gotten a chance to really connect with people on the, the mental health aspect of things, the physical health, the emotional health. And I've never really actually had a chance yet to talk about the spiritual health. Why, why is this from your perspective, Chris, so important? For me, like I said, spiritual can take such a range with so many different people. It doesn't necessarily mean that that one person's religious beliefs are more valid or, or right or wrong. And, and as a chaplain, um, I let people know that, that you know, our, our motto in the, in the uh, chaplain service is care for all, regardless of, you know, what they believe spiritually, regardless if they have no spiritual beliefs. You know, some of the people I'm closest with in my life are, are atheists, and we agree that we make sense of the world differently, but that doesn't really, you know, change our relationship with each other. Um, and, and I think, so what the spiritual health is for me, first and foremost, it's, it's that ability to make meaning and see connection to the world. Um, and, and how that, how that works for us and, and how we play a role in it, you know, how we fundamentally see other people. You know, I, I know when I get more stressed, when I get, you know, more tired, more anxious, more worn down, 
amazingly, the people around me also get worse. Um, or maybe I just don't give them the same kind of time and patience and compassion. I would give them when I'm rested and, and ready to face the challenges of the day. Um, but that's probably not, not true at all. So the way we make meaning to people around us to, you know, put in quotes, if you want, into the universe and to just the different communities we move in and through in and out of, I find is very much a, an aspect of our spiritual health and how we connect with those people and work ourselves through maybe not major traumatic events. I would say that, you know, is probably still the realm of, of mental health care, but the traumatic events that, that maybe don't register, you know, on, uh, on an organization's radar of, oh, this is something we need to go check in with the member about. You know, a, a perfect example is uh, I was riding with um, an RCMP member and the calls we went to that day, they weren't anything overly traumatic at risk of generalizing. We went to, uh, a, you know, there was a, a response to a break-in, which actually was a, a more of a family dispute and his daughter who was the tenant had trashed the house and but he was upset and lots of yelling and swearing at us because we were there we went from there on to um a woman who her daughter had been caught uh, her, her very young daughter i think 10 11 years old had been caught skipping school and drinking in one of the public parks um and the woman was known to you know have some issues with parenting. I can't remember the next call we went to, but it was just those three things stacked up in quick succession for that member. He eventually stopped the car while we were driving back to the detachment. And they're, they're long drives. We're often on, you know, 45 minute, 90 minute drives to get back to the detachment and just kind of had a, why am I even doing this moment? You know, is, is, is the world so awful that this is going to be my day to day every single day? And, it was not nice to be there because I'm not happy all of that happened, but to be able to be there with that member in that moment and just start talking through, okay, so like, let's, let's break these three things up. You know, let's not look at them as, as one collective thing, but let's work through why each, you know, of these is bothering us. Cause it was, it was a hard day for me too, is bothering us so much. You know, let's, let's reflect a little bit on, what this means for our place in our work, because I get it. If you think that's going to be your day in day out every single day for the rest of your career, not a lot of people are going to want to stay in that. You know, and if you think that's going to be the, what you see of people around you, it's easy to start to look at, you know, the people we serve through a lens that isn't helpful. So the, the spiritual realm of that is to take that step back and, and see our connection to other people. And as much as it sucks for us dealing with it, but the trauma that, that they're in that has led to that situation, you know, the, the healing we want to see come out of it and the relationship we want to have with our communities coming out of it. So that's the start of spiritual care for me is it's just how we make meaning of those different things in our lives. I can also echo the fact too that if you are serving in any role in a first responder role, you are going to be getting called to uh, what we like to call probably the lower echelon or the bottom 1% of the the issues that the world 
sees. Police officers are never really called to go celebrate someone's birthday or, you know, to go rejoice in the miracles of life. Uh, we oftentimes get sucked into this world that's, you know, disproportionate and it actually impacts how we view the world. And I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation about how after the calls, we need to take those moments and have those conversations with ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, where where is this impacting me spiritually? How is my perception uh, skew right now of the world and how, how this all looks because like you said if you're going to allow yourself to hold this judgment for any length of time some massive amounts of emotion are going to start to surface you're going to have despair and dread and and you're going to have this horrible judgment or perspective of the world that just isn't accurate and hey i've been there i've walked a mile in those shoes and i would have definitely benefited from having someone like yourself along for the ride to have those hard conversations and really kind of challenge me and kind of break down what we were going through in those moments and that's where that's where these these stories are so beneficial for people to hear because for a lot of us that are out serving in these remote communities, I was just up in Rankin Inlet of all places, they don't have the supports that we have down in the major centers. So they don't have a crisp pylon in the passenger seat with them to go to these calls. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting role of the chaplain specifically is that, um, and this is, this is more true of the military than it is the RCMP, because in the military we're we're employees just like everybody else is. Uh, we're volunteers in the RCMP world, but in the military, we are along for everything. There is no event that a chaplain would not be present at, it, you know, and that means through, you know, if you're if you're deployed into a combat zone, you are in dangerous places as well. RCMP is a bit different. We generally actually we do not go to calls uh, that have weapons involved with them, um, or could have that potential just because it's it's a disservice to the member at that point of they're having to be like, oh, is the, is the chaplain also safe too? Because not all RCMP chaplains also have a military you know, experience. Some may come from the hospital, so they might not have that same you know, of f- familiarity around weaponry that, that I do just because of, of the, the course that my life has taken. Um, so we don't go to that kind of call, but we're definitely there afterwards to have the the conversation with the member. And then for the majority of the calls that we do go along to, you know, we, we get to, we're in the same scenario. And it's my job, I see it as a chaplain, to kind of model that behavior myself. You know, I, I, I can't ever give in to the you know, stereotype of, of who's, you know, we, we get a call to go out to a, a stolen car in a certain area. Well, we know who it is. Okay. Well, maybe let's, let's, you know, back off from that for a little bit and not go in with that preconceived notion or, or start to walk down that path of this person is irredeemable, is of no value because, you know, if I, once you start that with one person, it's easy to move it to two and to three and to four. So it, it, it can be a bit difficult in that role for myself of, okay, like, Take that step back and how do we want to view the people we are serving that, that, you know, that 1% that the majority of society never has to deal with, never has to see. We have decided to place ourselves directly in their lives. And that means at least, you know, to me and what, to I, what I try to communicate to the members that I, that I work with and volunteer with is that means we have to conduct ourselves a certain way. And in, you know, it's, it's also a fake it till you make it idea that if I'm just going to 
put on this face for a little while, even if I don't want to of, you know, understanding and whatnot, eventually it actually becomes true. And, and you start to see the people you're dealing with as, you know, maybe not the bad guys or the people you, you have to deal with, but as other human beings who, whose circumstances had lived in down a different road and we get a chance to interact with them for, for better or for worse. And we get to choose how we go into that event. There's no shame uh, from my perspective, and I'm sure you agree with this, that due to some of the challenges that we go through, that it's very natural for us to start to begin to judge others and lack compassion from compassion fatigue, burnout, PTSD, trauma experiences, whatever the case is. And what you're saying, Chris, I want to build on this because it's really, really important for us. When we start our journey in these roles, we're filled with compassion. Our batteries essentially are completely full so we can go out and we can care for the world how we need to. Even that that 1% of the population that just struggles because their life has been so challenging. And over time, we lose that. We forget how to recharge that battery. So what you're talking about is incredibly important. Well, and I would even build on to that um, in, in a much more, maybe not serious way, but um, you know, when, when we start to, at least in, in my experience of what I've seen, when we start to lose that compassion for the people we deal with, and, and I understand it is incredibly hard sometimes. I've I've dealt with directly people who it's kind of, you know, I don't want to have a conversation with this person. I, I think that they are, are disgusting. And it's it's hard for me to put myself in that scenario. That's where, you know, as also as a priest, I have to. You know, I, I we're called to love everyone regardless of what they've done and that that is very challenging but in those scenarios where where we're starting to lose compassion for the people we deal with it i find it it expands quickly you know it's it's one or two people who you know maybe it take up 60 70% of the call volume who it's it gets really easy to not show compassion towards but then that circle grows a little bit and it's it's kind of growing into the people you know, you may not have the same kind of interactions with. And then as it goes unchecked, where I find it grows most seriously is it gets really hard to have compassion for yourself because you're starting to, you're not showing it in anyone else. You're not feeling it from anyone else because it's, it's kind of checked out of your mind. And then that's where that story starts of, well, there's just no compassion in the world period and you start to lump yourself into that too and you know it's harder to be compassionate to yourself when you make mistakes or or when you do need that little bit of grace to, you know i didn't get to the gym this morning well that doesn't make you the worst person in the world it just means you didn't get to the gym this morning things come up things happen but when you're in that circle of of not having compassion for anyone it it turns back on you and that's i find with a lot of members um both military and and police and as I think back to my, my experience in, uh, in hospital chaplaincy as well, it gets really hard to then turn that arrow off of yourself, of, of someone who also isn't deserving of compassion. And that goes into your personal relationships at that point. That goes you know into marriages, into your relationships with, with your kids, because it's just impossible to see yourself as someone who deserves compassion. It gets harder and harder to send out into the world. 
I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, there, there's a saying we, what we think we become, and this is very true for compassion. I think even as I reflect on, on my own journey, as you talk about how compassion and the slippery slope of losing that ability to, to be compassionate with others, uh, not only impacts others, but it also then starts to impact you internally. I can reflect on and, and my own journey, Chris, where I experienced that. I completely agree with you. And it wasn't until later on where I recognized and realized just how important holding compassion for other people who may need it the most actually was uh, because I had learned from the flip side of this. So I had learned from it from a different way. I'm not sure if life taught you this too from your own experience, if you've just stumbled on this thought, but this thought is actually uh, something that is, I would say, a very, very important lesson in life that we need to continue to hold at least somewhere uh, within our being yeah absolutely it's something that uh, that I've learned the hard way um, most of the important lessons in life I find I've learned the hard way in general but uh, that was one of those things where I, I, I had to look at myself and say if I don't start being compassionate to myself if I don't start you know forgiving myself, for things that I have done, forgiving others for things that have been done to me, I'm probably never going to get outside of this circle. I wish I could say I had that thought myself. It was someone outside, you know, saying that to me of, you know, are you, are you this hard on everybody or is it just reserved for you? And I went, well, I, me. And they said, no, it's not like, you know, it's, it's nice that you can tell yourself that lie that you're just as hard on yourself, but you're compassionate to everybody else, but that's not the truth. It was a hard conversation to have with someone who I, I am still very close with. Um, like it's my, my mentor, in fact, in life. And, and had she not been there to kind of say, what are you, what are you doing? I don't know that I would be in the position that I am today. In fact, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today. I think I can say confidently. I think you encapsulated that very well. Uh, I'm not going to try to build on that any further. And I think there's a lot of people, hopefully, that listen to this this episode. And what started out as a conversation about spirituality and the importance of it has quickly shifted over into a, a space of, you know, compassion and how we approach compassion uh, from the roles of first responders. And Chris, what you're saying is 100% true. And we really have to check in with ourselves and have those hard conversations with ourselves because we also, when we stop giving others compassion, like you touched on, we stop giving ourselves grace and we start to become very disconnected from the world and the reality that makes up our experience here. And we, we in turn start to tear the best things that we hold close to ourselves, the things that make us up we start to erode those and we start to become different people. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, and, and when you talk about having those conversations with ourselves and each other, um, when I was starting as a, as a chaplain, that, that same friend um, who I, I lived with, him, him and I are still very close. I asked him, you know, for all his years of, of military experience, you know, what, what would he want to hear the chaplain say he he's always had a a good relationship with the chaplains he's with um he's someone whose whose opinion i value quite quite sincerely and he said if the chaplain is getting called in because 
there's been something building and building in someone's life and they're at that point where okay we got we have to call the chaplain now because things have gone off the rails in this person's career um lots of different ways that can manifest um he said if it, when those scenarios happen everyone else has missed a critical window you know i i serve about you know closely 70 soldiers on a larger scale about 150 um i can't know everyone as well as i would like to i can't have the conversations i would like to with everybody else but all of them have friends all of them have people in their lives who can say something's different you know something's something's going on in your life right now and i can tell <laughs> back you know in 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 earlier days um when i was heading into that kind of circle of you know hostility i guess it was a you know lack of compassion and and lack of grace i had friends say to me you used to be fun and that was a big wake-up call of like oh okay like they've noticed something in my life i need to have a serious and actually it, it led to me voluntarily leaving the career i was in you know i, I worked in uh in middle management for for rogers communications and went i did used to be fun what happened and you know looking at it it's like oh it's this job I, I can't keep doing this job it's it's eroding everything that i had held value in and when we avoid those conversations you know when we notice those changes in people we're really doing a disservice you know what could be uncomfortable for a few moments you know maybe a couple of weeks or you know in, in the most in, you know severe cases could lead to an end in the friendship could still save someone's life and i think that's always more valuable it's just a really hard conversation to have you know like to those to those friends who who said you used to be fun had they not said that had they not started that that path for me of, of reflecting on okay well why am i not fun anymore who knows what direction my life would have gone in from there but i i can say that the direction it has gone in because of those conversations is better and you know when we when we leave it to just oh someone else will handle that someone else will will take care of that they'll tell someone else down the line it doesn't always happen and I, i'm always happy to come into people's lives where there is crisis or you know i'm not going to say to to a soldier well your friends should have told you sooner so now you don't get any help from me i'm always happy to come in i'm always happy to work with them but you know there's conversations to be had with their friends as well you know did, did you guys notice something and if you did why didn't you say anything why didn't you help them it's it's before you go through something major in life you you don't or at least this was my experience anyway I also lacked the ability to have those deeper conversations with others to really challenge people on the direction that they were headed. Uh, I'm actually incredibly grateful for have gone, having had gone through what I have gone through in life uh, because it's given me this ability now to be able to sit down with people and hold compassion for that person and what they're going through because you and I have gone through enough stuff in life now. We can see through uh, you know, the root issue and really kind of drill into what's really going on here. 
And it's incredibly important for, for you to be in your role. But what's even more valuable is that there needs to be this cultural shift within these roles, these first responder roles, where uh, the people that are in them are properly supported, not just by yourself, but by their friends and by their family. And, you know, that compassion and that grace and that understanding to give that person the space that they need so that they can sit with whatever they're struggling uh, in, in that moment to hopefully navigate it with someone because for many of us we feel completely isolated when we're in crisis or you know nudging along down that path closer to that space we don't feel like we have anyone that we can really sit down with and talk to that will understand what we're going through yeah and it's those those work relationships i think that are are so important um you know and it's you don't need you know, advanced training in psychology to know when one of your friends or, or, you know, one of the people you work with is different. And it doesn't always mean that, you know, Nate, for example, has become incredibly withdrawn and, you know, isn't talking to anybody anymore and is, is just always on his phone. It just means that we've noticed a change and sometimes you can't always put your finger on it. You know, sometimes it could be as easy as, as that of, wow, this guy who used to be super social and talk to everybody isn't now, or just, you know, little things, you know, so-and-so always used to come into the office and, and they said hello to everybody when they got here. And now they just go to their desk and start to work. People notice that and you can't always put your finger on it, but you don't need to be able to put your finger on it to say, is everything okay? Hey, what's going on? We have a program in the military um, called Sentinels, and, and the Sentinel program is um, is run by the chaplains. And what it is is training in and around being a good, compassionate ear. And one of the things we tell the, the Sentinels when we're training them is that you don't need to know exactly what's going on in that person's life. You don't need to be able to say, you know, X, Y, and Z are different about you right now. As long as you're coming from a position where you're compassionate and you're honest and, and you have the best intentions, simply saying, is everything okay? Are you good? What's going on? will often start the conversation and they will fill in the blanks for you. you know, if you're coming from that honestly intentioned place, so often the person who's struggling, you know, maybe they say, nothing, leave me alone, which that time we tell the Sentinels, call the chaplain. We have more skills and practice in, in working through those scenarios, but quite often it opens the door for the conversation and you don't need to know the specifics of it because oftentimes that person who is hurting is going to fill you in on a little bit of it. You know, it, it might be something like, you know, uh, you know, I've been arguing with my wife a lot and the Sentinels are trained. They're not there to solve the problem. They're just there to listen just to be that compassionate ear of, you know, okay, well, you know, say more, what's going on with, with your spouse or, or whatever situation that you're in. And then they call the chaplain. So it gives us a ability to, to reach more members indirectly. So we can kind of have an idea of, you know, who's struggling with what events in their lives. And that's where the chaplain does get involved with them to kind of square that circle of spiritual care of, Let's start talking about the big things that are going on in your life and and how you're making meaning of them, how you're finding purpose through them, how they've affected you. 
for first responders, I think we tell ourselves this lie that we, and we get forced to do this in our job, is we get forced to go to these calls and we're always problem solving and fixing and putting band-aids on situations and, and trying to find these solutions and moving on to the next thing. And we forget that at times that we're still very much human and that in order to care for other people, we need to slow down and not problem solve, but just be there and listen. And when we do that, it allows that other person to kind of take some of the rocks that they've put in their backpack and bring them out and just put them down Mm -hmm. and just kind of get a little bit lighter in that moment. I'm glad you brought this up because this is something that I think is a a widespread issue too amongst first responders. As you go down the the road of years of experiences, you tend to just not have that ability anymore to sit with someone and listen to their story because you're so used to problem solving and that is a massive issue in and of itself. It's funny that you mentioned that. Um, In the detachment I was in, in DDiv, the calls that I found frustrated the members the most were the ones without solutions. You know, it's, it's a low call volume area. So sometimes you're going to things that aren't criminal, that they're, they're really civil, but still the police are showing up at, you know, a, a neighborly dispute. And I can think of two neighbors in particular who next door neighbors who just hated each other, but nothing criminal ever happened. So it was just a case of having to go in and listen. And listen to this, you know, person A talk about how terrible person B is, and then the exact same in reverse. There was never a solution to it. They weren't going to stop hating each other. No member was going to come in with any magic words. The chaplain wasn't going to come in with anything, you know, infinitely profound to say to them to stop the uh, the argument between them. You just had to go listen. And that frustrated the members to no end. You know, they're used to going to calls where they can solve things. You know, person A needs to be arrested, person B needs to be cautioned, whatever. But when you're just going to a call of two people are being people, having a dispute, and you just need to sit and listen for five minutes, and then you get to go back to whatever else you were doing. And for what would be a relatively, you know, on the surface, simple call, easy write-up, it it brought so much frustration with it you know you the 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 numbers for these uh these people would show up on the phones when they called and it would almost empty the detachment you know as soon as that phone rang and they saw that number people are heading for the heading for the cars oh yeah no i've got this thing to go do can't do that all you got to do is go listen to two people you know pardon my language bitch about each other but there was no solution there was nothing to solve it was just sit be uncomfortable, listen, say, okay, can you know, say more about that or or yeah, I hear you, but there's no solution to it. So the members just scattered when uh, whenever these two came up across the radio. Years into therapy, I sat there with my therapist and she was like, "You know what, Nate? She I've talked about this a little bit before in the past. She said, "Mounties first responders, all, all of us, uh, you're classic. You don't fear anything but your own emotion." And I kind of chuckle as I'm listening to the story because I just I have this this I step back and look at what kind of or listen to what you're saying. Sorry, in the moment and think about how for for members we hate feeling feelings. 
we like to go to calls that are very black and white and we can arrest somebody like you were saying we can take them to cells we can do the investigation we can get an attaboy we can do the caution we can deal with the problem we can find the solution we can put the band-aid on and go to the next thing and that's the very nature of the job but when you have these more civil issues what's actually happening is they're they're kind of pushing members those cops now to go to that call and sit and try and hold empathy and listen to this emotional story where it's going nowhere and that's hard for cops because you are now being forced. I would go beyond it. You, right? Because now you, as a police officer, you have to dive into how do I feel and how do I feel in this moment so that I can be empathetic with that person and hear them because that's what we need when we struggle. We just need someone to, to give us an ear, but to also be there emotionally to help us heal, really. Yeah, I, I would go beyond. It's 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 hard for for police i find especially because of you know the nature of the training and and you know i I didn't go to depot but from what i've heard it's you know it's scenario-based training where you can be graded you know there needs to be yep passed nope failed and those aren't situations where a grade can be applied you know did you sit and listen yes did you do it well i don't know um you know, how do, how do we grade that? How do we, how do we give you a, a, a check mark in that PO? Um, but it, it is, I think what makes it so hard and, and there is this, I don't know if it's a, if it's a leftover, if, if the culture is changing a little bit, but an expectation of detachment from your own emotions in, in so many of the first responder roles, um, in care roles, uh, and so many roles like that. And if you're that detached from your own emotions, it can be really hard to empathize with people who are going through their own emotions because it's it's someone else. It's not something you experience. Well, it's something we all experience, but it's something you're pretending not to. So having to see it in someone else means that, you know, maybe we should reflect on this in our own lives as well from that time that I had an, a stupid argument with my neighbor because, you know, while I was walking outside, I tripped over the dog and spilled my coffee. And then wouldn't you believe it? There's my neighbor who's, you know, mowing his lawn at seven thirty in the morning. Um, and w- with that refusal to deal with our own emotions and, and our own view of how we see the world, it means when we come into those scenarios where we have to see someone else go through it, it's it's an uncomfortable thing. You know, you're human, I'm not, kind of kind of mentality. And and I I do hope and I am seeing it change um in the RCMP and the military as well, of this recognition that, you know, if we don't deal with our emotions in, in some level, they're going to control every interaction we have with people. And there's maybe a more of a recognition now that, you know, police and, and I would say especially police don't have to be unfeeling robots. You know, it's, and in fact, it's probably better if they're not. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, and again, that was a hard life lesson that I had to learn to not do it that way. Yeah, there's, 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 there's two kinds of ways that our emotions can control us, right? You know, they can control us from the front because we just 
lead with it all the time and there's never any any measure in our lives or they can control us from the back where we, we push it away and push it away and then we find that actually it's been them pulling the reins all the time you know if you confront them work with them it can give you tremendous empathy you know like you said earlier in our conversation no one's calling the police because it's a good day you know, we say we say the same for the chaplain. No one ever calls a chaplain because they want to talk about what a great day it is. Something bad has happened. And the more in touch we are with our own empathy and our own emotions around that, when you get to those calls where no one's in trouble, but you've just got to deliver terrible news to someone. You know, it, it's it's that difference between being there and legitimately caring for them that person in that moment versus pretending you're caring for that person in that moment because grieving people can tell, you know, they, they know if you're experiencing something similar, if you're truly empathizing with them, or if you're just kind of pretending and, and have a thousand other things you'd like to be doing in that moment. And, you know, it's the difference between a conversation with someone who's, you know, been, been you know, the, the SOC and having that conversation afterwards, once all the, the heat is down, once all the, uh, you know, the, the, the situation that you're in in that moment has kind of subsided and having that honest conversation with them about what is going on with you. You know, even if it's someone you deal with a long time or a, a lot of the time to have that conversation of, like, I know you and I know this isn't what you do. You know, I know you and I know you're heading down a really bad path right now. And I think the more earnest we are in those conversations, maybe you can, you know, I'm sure lots of people are calling me naive right now or that, you know, rose colored glasses or whatnot. But I do think the more earnest conversations we can have with those people, the more benefit it is to both parties. And to do that, we've also got to know where we're coming from and, you know, if I can if I'll round it back into spiritual care that I work in, that changes how we see the world. That changes how we interact with people. The more we keep that in our in the front of our mind, the more it impacts every single relationship we have. Yeah, I'd like to come back to spirituality. We've done quite a quite a well, actually we've done a phenomenal job of really highlighting the importance of uh, a compassion and empathy and why it's important to really drill into that. Uh, but coming coming back to the lens of spirituality, and I wanted to ask you this question earlier on, but we got sidetracked, which is totally okay. Um, but I wanted to know your perspective about you know what do you see from your your role. Uh, in the sense of you know the people that you help in the trauma that they may go may be going through if if you take an individual for for example that's been in the role now for years uh, as opposed to someone who's been doing it for 20 30 years do you think there's there's a correlation between the experience the level of experience trauma that an individual may have experienced and also the degradation of that ability to be rooted in spiritual connection some form of it it's a really good question. Um, and just maybe as a, as a precursor to this, for me, from my perspective, spirituality means something very specific. Um, compassion, forgiveness, grace in my life, in my world, are all tied up incredibly closely to spirituality. You know, it's my spirituality that, that 
tells me to go into the world with grace, with forgiveness, with compassion. So from my own perspective, people who've been able to keep that idea in their head about you know how how compassion and how that that spiritual aspect of their being informs the rest of their life are able to hold to it longer and, and I'll give an example um one of the best members I've ever met a uh, phenomenal police officer she's got 20 years in maybe 21 um and still comes at every single call she's a corporal now um with empathy with compassion wanting that other person to feel that they're being treated with with dignity and with and with grace and she's not a particularly religious person her and i've never had had really in-depth religious conversations but she chooses and it, it is a day-by-day choice that forms into into habit to see the world and and greet the world in a very specific way you know she makes sure that she always remembers or tries to remind herself in every call she's on the person she's dealing with is someone else's child or someone else's mother, father, brother, whatever the relationship is. And how would she feel if someone treated her mother, brother, father, whoever in that way? And it's been a very deliberate choice for her for her entire career. That doesn't mean that there aren't times when you're dealing with people and, you know, grace goes out the window for that encounter. But then to, you know, when I find when you when you live in that style you're also able to forgive yourself a little bit easier and say well i didn't maybe act the way i should have in that situation but there's always another call there's always another opportunity to make sure that i approach the next one that way versus 20 year members who've not kind of kept that idea and and again spiritual is just such a big term you know, it can be hard to nail down, but I do think spirituality is is tied into how we view the world and the people around us and our communities. And like it or not, if you're, you know, a member of the RCMP, part of your community is the people you arrest on a regular basis. How, and the members I've seen who've got that 20 years in, and even less, you know what, the members I've got, I, I know who've got five years in, who haven't had that conscious decision of I want to make sure I'm interacting with my community in a specific way. I want to make sure there are ideals that I hold that I'm always taking out with me into the calls that I do, no matter what they are, no matter how hard they are. The ones who don't have that in the front of their mind, it's easier for them to just stop doing it. And they're the ones who end up in calls where, you know, it's like, you know, a couple of kind words here would have saved you a fight, you know, or having to go hands-on to get someone into the PC, you know, or, or 10 minutes more of conversation. And again, this is coming from a, a detachment area where we're not stacked up with calls. You've got 10 minutes, you know, except in rare scenarios. 
but 10 minutes more of compassion saves going hands-on versus, you know what, compassion's done, you're going in the PC, like it or not. And it takes a toll both ways. You know, it takes that toll of then not being able to forgive yourself for errors, omissions, whatever, which then eventually just goes into, at least in my experience of it, this is everyone's fault but mine, to quote Homer Simpson. You know, you eventually get to that place where you can't forgive yourself anymore, and it's getting really uncomfortable and hard to do. So you know what? Let's make this everybody else's fault. And and we all know that kind of person to work with. Right? Personal accountability goes out the window. Forgiveness for other people when they make mistakes goes out the window. And I, and I find it is that that choice to carry that spirituality into your world and your day-to-day life that really makes that difference. And I worry now with members who haven't been taught that or haven't been modeled that, you know, I, I get, I see then at three years into their career, they're starting to question, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's always, you know, person X or group X, who's the cause of everything, you know, and they're having those, those conversations with themselves that maybe 10 to 15 year members had, and they're having them earlier and earlier. And I think it's a disservice to remove that, that spiritual aspect from their life. And, and, you know, that might be traditional religion. That might be something completely different. I'm not saying that traditional religion is the only way to have a spirituality or the only way to make sense of the world. It's just a set of tools. Like someone else's spirituality fills the same set of tools. Removing that from their lives or not, maybe not giving them training in it or experience in it is doing them a disservice. And I find, you know, earlier and earlier now, members are starting to really struggle with, well, why am I doing this? What's the point? Do I even care? So it's a very long-winded answer to your question there again, but that's, that's kind of the problem with chaplains. Once you get us talking, we're hard to stop. Hey, you're the perfect guest for a podcast. Please continue. <laughs> uh, so in spirituality, spirituality for me is something that is also a very interesting topic. And I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because I do know how most police officers think when they hear of this word, they cringe up and they say, oh, I don't want to be a part of this. Um, so I want to be very careful about how I approach this because that was also my feeling. But as we age, and especially like I'm starting to really notice that spirituality is becoming more and more, and more important for me as I'm aging. And I'm seeing the value behind it. And some of my experiences that have led me down that path where spirituality wasn't a part of my life was uh, when I had my biggest struggle, which was facing addiction and had to go to rehab. And one of the things that they tried to get us to focus on in rehab was who is your higher power? How are you connecting with, you know, external things outside of you? And it's almost a prompt to, you know, Let's think about this, but how does it then kind of also create that internal connection? What does your own individual spirituality look like? And these are all actually really important things for police officers to have to stay well for a 20, 30 year long career. Absolutely. Um, and if, if I may comment on broader society for a moment, and again, I'd like to be very clear that I'm not suggesting that the Christian church 
is the only way you can find or make sense of spirituality. But for our parents' generation, they had at least usually a passing familiarity with the church and some stories coming out of the you know, biblical stories. And what that served as was a set of tools to make meaning in their lives. By and large, we've removed that from people now and said, figure it out on your own. Well, it's really hard to do that, turns out. And, you know, in my role as a chaplain, I'm never seeking to convert people. I'm never seeking to proselytize or tell them that, you know, Jesus Christ is the only way. To, that's not the conversation that I'm having with members, be it soldier or police. But I am seeking to have that conversation of, you need to sort out these events in your own world. And unfortunately, maybe fortunately, your own world isn't just you. There are people you are interconnected with. There are people who are going to influence you in your life. There are events that are going to influence you in your life. And you're going to have to develop a set of tools, especially if you are in demanding careers, nursing, police, paramedic, and, and so on, you're going to have to get that set of tools to work these things out, or you're going to find yourself more and more disconnected. Are there examples of people who make it through the career just fine, never having considered their own spirituality? Absolutely. Those examples exist. I would say for the majority of us, though, um, you're, you're going to have to be able to work through these events and work through your relation to them, or like we talked about earlier with emotions, they're going to control you. If you don't address it, they will influence you, and you're just not going to be as aware of it. So I think the more we give, and it, you know, it can be a hard conversation to have, because um, you know, there's so many connotations to the word, spirituality in particular, but we do ourselves a disservice for not having those conversations. One thing we also do a, a disservice for as well to build on uh, even that thought is, and you touched on this, and this is also something, it was almost kind of like a sleeper comment that you kind of just threw in there. And I don't even know if you recognized how important this is, but for many, for many first responders that go through the career and they tell themselves the story that <clears throat> I don't need to have spirituality or I don't need to push myself uh, towards growth and, and have that proper compassion or connection and, and I can do this career. And those people do somehow make it through the career. Uh, but the other thing that I think that happens that we don't often talk about is what sacrifice happens from that space? How much of an enriched life do you miss out on due to the fact that you're just trying to get through the career and hang on for the 20, 25, 30 years? Maybe you're not able to meet it with the compassion that you need to, but you're just trying to do your best. And while I respect that, there's also a cost in that space too. And that's that's something that I kind of found through my own journey. Uh, and once I started to challenge myself on, okay, I do actually need to try to do this, uh, I actually found that life became a lot more enriched because of it. Absolutely. Um, it's funny, in, in my role as a chaplain, you know, people ask how I'm able to do what I do, which is just always meeting the people who serve and serving them. 
And I say it's it's because my spiritual life is so very full. Now, for me, that means prayer and and worship um, to the point where people I work with and have you know strong relationships with as a chaplain can recognize when my own spiritual life isn't where it needs to be. You know, if if circumstances have led that I haven't been able to sit and and pray for a little while or have fallen out of my own routine of it, people I work with can say, and it's funny because it's coming from people who aren't religious at all. They'll say, have you been praying lately? And and to me, that's that indication of like, oh, okay, yeah, you're noticing me not being as good at my job as I should be. Um, but, you know, for me as a religious professional, those those two are very, very linked in. I would say inseparable. For most people, though, there's, you know, well, maybe not inseparable, there is, there are, are indicators when your own spiritual life is not, you know, kind of, kind of fulfilling you the same way. You know, maybe you aren't experiencing or haven't had the time to go what, you know, recharges your spiritual batteries, takes a toll somewhere else, you know. For spirituality, just it runs such a wide gamut of definitions. It could be something as simple as you know taking your time to get out into nature. You know, uh, well, I lived in Edmonton. I, I had the I was fortunate enough to live in the River Valley, and it's a beautiful area of Edmonton. Trees. The uh, the North Saskatchewan River runs through there. Lots of it's actually entirely parks that runs along both sides of the river there. And for a lot of people, that is their spiritual retreat. You know, they walk home from work or to work, going along the river valley, listening to birds chirping, hearing the, you know, the water running for the three months that we get summer in Edmonton. Um, but it's noticeable in those people as well. You know, say you have to divert your path because of construction or whatever, or the River Valley flooded, which happens from time to time. And you don't get to recharge those batteries the same way, or you haven't found something else to take their place for a little while. It, you know when that person's coming into work and they're they're a bit more sour, you know, because something in their life that has recharged their batteries is now taken away suddenly. And that's the importance, I think, of examining our own spirituality and our own spiritual lives you can walk through the river valley and get you know recharged from that and never really address well what it is going on with me well it's my connection with the world it's it's seeing kind of you know untouched beauty it's whatever that means for you if you've never examined that if circumstances take it away you don't know that you need something else to replace it because that part of you is going to be lacking for a little while. You don't know that, okay, now coming home from work, because I can't walk through here, maybe I'm going to have to drive to make sure that I can go out to something else on the way home and take five, ten minutes and just sit and get that same recharge. That's the importance of having those conversations with ourselves and really addressing it is knowing when it's going to be lacking, when we're full on it or when we might need to change gears and find it in a different area. I wanted to thank you for your time today, Chris. 
and the the level of love and compassion that you bring to the table uh, to give back to the first responder community and the military and and to hopefully help those that are struggling with some of the most serious things in life that we can go through. I wanted to thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I've been listening since your very first episode. So, uh, you know, when I, when I reached out to you to see if I could help, you know, to build more networks for, uh, for supporting members, uh, I was, I was thrilled that, uh, you'd even invite me here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and again, Chris, you have such an important story to tell from, uh, from your own lived experience and having had given back to this community that I know a lot of people are going to listen to this episode as well and be very touched and very kind of, you know, left with this thought of, I need to probably do a better job of checking in with myself to see where I'm at. So you never know where, where our words go, but I do believe that they go somewhere special and hopefully we continue to, uh, to move people in the right direction. So thank you for your time today and thank you for what you do for all of us. It's my pleasure. And thank you again. 